welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the first morning service of the 20th of February 2011, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 9 to 15, and verse 20. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. So good to be here with all of you, and uh, what a privilege to be back at Bethel Baptist Church in Birmingham, England. Uh, Ward End, by the way. Uh, I'm so honored uh, for the privilege every time that I get to to uh, to speak uh, to you folk, and I just pray and, and and trust that this will be a great meeting, and it will be more than just a meeting. It'll be a movement of God that we'll see the Lord do some real things in in the midst of us this this coming week. Um, I want you to take your Bible very quickly. I don't have a lot of time, but First Samuel chapter number one. First Samuel. In chapter number one. And while you're turning there, let me say, give a little brief overview of what's taken place in our life since we were with you last time. Um, when I came last year, of course I was by myself. I'm glad that my wife Veronica and Seth is with me this year. I'm so thankful for them being with me. And uh, But last year I was able to come and I it was kind of a mixed emotion for me because I, I wanted my family to be with me, but it was a time in which I was really asking God to give me a direction um, for a future ministry in our area. Uh, I had prayed for many, many months, and to be quite honest, uh, for those that weren't here Wednesday, I kind of went over this a little bit Wednesday night, but um, I wanted to become invisible for a little while. I didn't want to. I didn't want to uh, be visible. I wanted to kind of get lost in a big church and, and just not, uh, not be as uh, out in the forefront and in the limelight as uh, have been in the past. And so I, I just prayed that God would give me, while I was here, would give me a real answer about what to do. We've had a mass exodus to the back. It, it don't take me long to run people off. It took about four minutes. But uh, I really prayed that God would give me an answer while I was here, and He did. Um, about our future ministry, about a church that we wanted to start. And we'd been praying about this for quite some time, and, but God, while I was here, gave me real validation and a peace uh, to start my own church. That doesn't make... Listen, when you pray about something and God gives you peace, doesn't make, doesn't, doesn't make it any easier. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's going to be tough. Uh, anything uh, that's done for God in these days and age, in, the days and age in, age in which we live is going to be difficult. Uh, the will of God ain't always the easiest way. It's not. Um, you know, Jesus went and prayed earnestly uh, that the cup might pass from him. And he prayed so hard as he, he sweat as it were great drops of blood. That, that wasn't an easy thing. And so the will of God is not always the easiest uh, route to take, uh, but it is the best one. It is the best one. And so uh, we prayed and and ask God to give us a peace, and He did. And I'm thankful uh, to stand here today and tell you that Bethel Baptist Church in Regalwood, North Carolina, has been established now for a year and a few months. And uh, we run anywhere between 45 and 60. It just depends on whether we catch them or not. Some of them run real fast. We have to catch them. But uh, we run anywhere between 45 and 60 people. And uh, 40, uh, 40 to 50% of our church is from the ages of 7 to 17. So we've got a future church already established. We just got to watch them grow now. And so just pray for us. 
uh, pray for me and my wife that God would give us uh, direction and that would have his hand on us as we minister to those people. Um, and it all comes from what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, if you'll look at the Scripture in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter number 1, and we'll look at verse number 9. In verse number 9 it says, So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat uh, by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she, Hannah, was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look uh, on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, not, uh, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. You ever been there? I've been there before. Didn't know what to pray, didn't know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit says when we don't know how to pray, He'll pray for us. Amen? It says in verse number uh, 13 at the end of it, it says, Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. You ever thought that people, as you as a Christian, thought something was wrong with you because you had a heart for Jesus? It's the way that Eli, here's a priest, comes to Hannah. She's, she's praying, but nothing's coming. Her lips are moving, but nothing's coming out. And he says she must be drunk with wine. Now listen what Eli said. Eli said unto her, How long will thou be drunken? Put away thine wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Now look over at verse number 20. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. I want to speak to you this morning on a thing that God dealt with me about when I was dealing with this thing of the church. Now listen, folks, the last thing in the world I wanted to do when I went back was to start a church from the ground up, an infant church out of nothing, just born out of the heart of God and out of my burden for some people in our area that were not going to church anywhere. And you know, Panos, I guess, I guess it's one of these things where the Lord says, you know what, I really don't care at this time <laughs> whether or not you want to do it. I think that you have to do this. And, uh, you know, a lot of times the reason we don't want to do stuff, Andy, is because the fact of the matter is we're selfish. We're not worried and concerned about others. We're just worried about us. Well, you know, I was thinking, man, if i got to start a church from the ground up, man, I've got to do all of this paperwork with the government. I've got to fill out all of these forms. I've got to make sure that we're uh, correct with the, with the, with the uh, tax people, uh, that, that we have child protective services things in place and, and all the insurance for people that if they were to fall on the property. You know, you go through all this stuff that has really nothing to do spiritually with people growing, but it can overwhelm you. And so... Uh, God knows my heart. My wife knows me. I'm not an administrator. I'm not one that pushes a pen and sits behind a desk. I like to go uh, and sit on people's porches and, and go and sit in the garden with them and pray and talk. And That's what kind of ministry I have. Uh, I like to be with people hands-on, one-on-one. But I'm not one of these that pushes a pen, but God uh, had to kind of open the door and shove me through it when it came to some of these areas. I didn't want to do it, but I had to. And thank God for my wife. Uh, who put into place a lot of this stuff. 
But you know what? It, uh, th though it was a lot of work, and though starting a church and anything that you do for Jesus Christ is going, listen, is going to uh, involve labor. We're co-laborers with Him. We're called soldiers. We're called servants. A servant is one who serves his Lord, his Master. Listen, anything that you do for God is going to in involve labor. It's going to involve some service. It's going to involve some initiation. Some in 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 it's going to take some intuitiveness on your part to become involved in what God is interested about. But I'll tell you the key thing that it takes in any of our lives, if we're going to do something for Jesus Christ, it's going to take a thing I want to talk about this morning. Spurgeon said these words. He said that the goal of prayer is the ear of God. The goal of prayer is the ear of God. Folks, what we want to do is we want to get the ear of God when, we're, when we're, we've got a petition or we've got something that's dear to our heart. And what I want to talk about is something that Hannah did this, in the Bible. I want to talk about this morning is a thing I want to call prevailing prayer. Prevailing prayer. Hannah, if you'll look, look down in verse number uh, 10 again, and it says she was bit in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow. Now, folks, I've done a little study about the Jewish economy, and back in those days, it was not an obligation that you vow a vow. If you made it, listen, a vow is a promise. She vowed a vow. She made a promise to God. She, she literally got serious with God and said, I'm going to vow a vow. Now, a vow was not an obligation, but once you did vow that, it became obligatory. It was an obligation on your part. It wasn't just a suggestion anymore. It was something that you obligated to God and you said, I'm going to carry this out. So Hannah vowed a vow. She said, Lord, this is what I want you to do. I want, if you'll give me a son, if you'll give me a child, then I will give him back to you. Now listen, folks, let's be honest. In most of our lives, at one time or another in prayer, we've went from praying to playing. We sit around and we say a lot of words and we have a lot of prayer meetings, but listen, how much is really getting done when it comes to prayer in our life? I want you to ask yourself in the recess of your heart, when's the last time that you really got down and you vowed a vow to God and you said, God, this is what I want you to do. This is what I know I'm supposed to do. And you know what? You've, you haven't put stringencies on God. You haven't put demands on Him. But you know what? The Bible does say in Jeremiah 30, call upon me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I looked up the word call upon me, and the word call means an, imp it's an imperative. That means it's a command, not a suggestion. He said, I want you to call upon me. And folks, let's be honest. If we want God to do a thing in our life, we've got to do what Hannah did. Hannah came to God, and listen, we've got to come to God the same way, and we should be in our prayer life. We should be serious about our prayer life. Serious. She was very serious about her prayer. Isaiah 44, 3 says, I will pour water upon them that's thirsty and, 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 and water upon the dry ground. I want to ask you something. When is the last time that you really got serious about your prayer life? I'll tell you this, if revival comes, it won't be because of Brian Beaver. It won't be because of some great theological implication that I have, uh, you know, rightly divided, Tyler. That's not why revival comes. See, I, I'm convinced that revival comes when God's people 
Hello? God's people began to pray and seek His face for it. I've said this a hundred times. God is more interested in giving us a refreshing from heaven than we are in having it. God's more interested in giving it than we are in having it. So prevailing prayer. She, listen, and we should come to God seriously when we pray. Seriously. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. That's serious business. I want you to turn over to James chapter number 5 very quickly. James chapter number 5. James chapter number 5, and look at verse 16. James chapter number 5 and verse 16. This is a very familiar verse. Uh, you ought to memorize this. This is a great verse to memorize uh, when you're talking about prayer. And, and by the way, folks, prayer is nothing more than trying to get a hold of the heart of God and hear his, and Him hear uh, what we've got to say. All right? Listen to what it says in verse 16. It says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent, zestos, uh, the zealous prayer, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, I want you to see something about this serious prayer. He says, you know what? If you're going to get the ear of God, and you're going to hear God, you, you want God to hear your prayers, okay? Listen, folks, Psalm 66, verse 18, I'm not making this stuff up. You ought to look it up in the Bible. Psalm 66, verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. You know what? Every prayer you pray ain't going to be heard. If you regard iniquity in your heart, listen... I don't care until you make that thing right, until you agree with God and you repent. There's a, a doctrine that's not taught a lot in these days that we live in, repentance. Listen, repentance is not restitution. Repentance is not remorse. Repentance ain't religion. Repentance is agreeing with God and having a change of mind of what you've been doing and get away from that and turn to what you ought to do. That's what repentance is. Repentance is just agreeing with God that, you know what, there's something between me and my Savior. That's all it is. But right here, James says, confess your faults one to another. Listen, folks, there is a command. There is, listen, first of all, there's a confession we must make, Peter. Confess your faults one to another. You know what I love about some dear friends that I've got? I mean, I've got a lot in this room. I don't believe there's a time that in my life that I couldn't, if I wanted to, to pick up the phone, call Panos, call Tyler, call my dear friend Peter, call my pastor Larry, and you know what? Say, brother, can we pray about something? I want to talk to you about an area of my life. You know what? I, I just want you to help me and pray with me that God will strengthen me through this time. I love the fact that we can, we can confess our thoughts one to another. By the way, when somebody comes and does that with you, don't get on the phone and start calling up the brethren and telling them about the things that your brother has come to you in private and tried to convey, and y'all pray about it. That's nothing more than gossip, and if you do that, you can forget about ever praying and getting the ear of God because until you get those things taken care of in your life, God's not going to hear you, period. I didn't say that, the Bible did. But he says, confess your faults one to another. There ought to be somebody in your life as a born-again believer, as somebody that has put a, their faith in Christ and been a follower of Jesus Christ. There ought to be somebody in your life that you can call at any time and say, listen, can we pray about this? It's called accountability. 
It's a very rare word in the society in which we live today. People don't want to talk about being accountable. Why do you think there's so many God-haters in the world? It's because they don't want to be accountable to something. They don't want to be accountable to a creator. They want to be the one that's in charge. And listen to me, folks, that is the predominant theme through the Bible. Who's going to be in control of your life? Is it going to be you? Is it going to be him? If you want to be in control of your life, sometimes God will say, okay. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I'm glad, I'm glad that old Brian don't have to try to figure out everything anymore. I've just put it in God's hands and I, because I make a mess out of it anyway. Many times I even make a mess out of it as a preacher and a Christian. So I've just put it in God's hands. Prevailing prayer, prayer that gets the job done, prayer that gets the ear of God is serious prayer, Peter, serious prayer. James says, confess your faults one to another. There ought to be confession we must make. Number two, look at the next part of the verse. There, he says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Listen, folks, there's a confession we must make, but number two, there's a command we ought to mind. A command we ought to mind. The word pray there is not a suggestion. The word prayer there means you need to like do it. <laughs> You don't need to think about it. You don't need to consult. You just need to pray. You know, far too many times we've got a lot of people to say, I'll be praying about that or I'll be praying for you. When's the last time that you came to somebody and they, or somebody came to you, they said, you know what, preacher, I've got a problem, or brother, I've got a problem, sister, I've got a problem. I want you to pray that God will give me wisdom about how to deal with this. If it's something that God's going to leave with me, like he left with Paul, a thorn in the flesh, an affliction that God gave him till he got his head cut off, you know what he said? I want to make sure that God, that I have the wisdom to endure that and to say, okay, Lord, I'm at peace and I'm content with whatever you got for me. But when's the last time somebody came to you and you said, I'll be praying for you and walk away and in five minutes you can't even remember what they said to pray about? See, I'm convinced if we're going to get serious about prayer when people come to us, we need to pray for them right then. I don't care what you're doing. There is nothing more important and there's not a greater privilege for the child of God than the matter of prayer. That's the greatest privilege we have as a born-again child of the living God is to pray for other people. So prevailing prayer, number one, is serious prayer. James said, confess your faults. That's the confession we must make. He next said, pray for one another that you may be healed. That's a command we ought to mind. But then look at the next part of the verse. He said, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When you pray, Panos, there's some conditions we must meet. There's a confession we must make. There's a command we ought to mind. But there's some conditions that we must meet. You say, what are those conditions? Number one, I want you to look at that part. It says the effectual, fervent prayer. Okay? This is one of the conditions. There should be some intensity in your asking. Intensity. Are we just going to pray for something five times and then when God don't answer it, just stop? I think my Bible tells me in Matthew 7, 7, it says, pray, you know, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. The tense of those verbs is ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. But many times, don't we, Peter, pray for something for a few months and 
God don't do anything and we just stop praying about it. In 2000, I preached a funeral for my grandmother, Panos. She passed away, of, and thank God, it was just, just old age. She just, you know, it was time for her to go, and God called her home. And you know, when I preached my grandmother's funeral, I watched my dad sit about where you are, and I was in the pulpit. And I watched my dad for the first time in his life ever acknowledge that there was something missing in his life. And I remember at that funeral, I watched my dad and my sister, which was sitting behind him, raise their hand and acknowledge that they needed to be saved, not just religious. They were in church, but they weren't in Christ. And they said, I need to be born again. And you know what? They gloriously got saved. I can remember at the end of my dad's life, two years later, he had, he had gotten pancreatic cancer. He had struggled with that thing, Peter. And I remember sitting with him when I got back from England, that first trip we ever took, I sat 51 days with my dad. And I, not, not 51, it was about 38 days. About 38 days I sat with my dad until he went to the hospital. And then we brought him back home for a few short days before he went to glory. But I can remember that for that last trip we went, my dad asked me a question. He said, Brian, he said, I've meant to ask you this for a long time. How long did you pray for me? How long did you pray for me? And folks, I announce to you, this is not my strength, but this is God that did it through me. My wife can attest to this, that from 1989 to the time that my dad got saved, I never ceased praying that God would save my daddy. That was, listen folks, that was almost 13 years I prayed for my dad to be saved by the grace of God. Every day I prayed for my daddy to be saved. And by the way, since that date in 1989, I've been praying now for, I guess, 24 years that my mom would come to Jesus Christ. It hadn't happened yet. But you know what? I hadn't stopped praying. See, folks, there's some conditions we must meet. And the first condition we must meet is we have to have some intensity in our asking. Jesus, Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus spoke a parable unto them this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Listen, folks, what's it take for us as God's people to just stop praying for a matter when God don't answer the way we want Him to? May I say this? One of God's answers is no. One of God's answers is wait. Oh, and let me just say this, because I know we are so spiritual, all of us. Can I just say this? We, as human beings, hate the word wait. We do not want to wait for nothing. We live in a microwave world. We can get anything at the, t at the touch of a fingertip now. We can access everything on our iPhones, on every kind of smartphone we got. We got iPads, iPhones, i this, i that. I mean, we got everything i. And we can get, to, we can get a hold of everything in five seconds. Just like that. I don't know about y'all, but I, I, I'm kind of the same way. I become impatient sometimes now. I, I found myself doing this, Penelope, the other day. My phone, when I send a text message, you know, it'll come across and say, message sent, and then it'll go back to the main screen. You know what I found myself saying? Well, you know what? When it goes through, it just don't go to the main screen fast enough. I'm sending a text to people in you know, Bangladesh, and I'm still saying, okay, it ain't going fast enough. It used to take us four days to put a phone call through to places like that. Now we can talk to people and, and, and listen, get everything we want at a touch of a finger, but we're still some of the most impatient people. And by the way, 
It's the same way with prayer. When God seems a million miles away, and have you ever felt like He has been? I can raise both hands. I felt that way. I'm not so pious that I wouldn't admit to you that there's times when the ceiling seems like it's brass and concrete and God's a million miles away. And you know what? A lot of times I believe that isn't God's fault. A lot of times that's Brian's fault. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Me and my wife have been married 21 years now. Known each other for 24. As much as I love my wife and, you know, we've got a relationship, there's times when that thing is severed because of our lack of communication. That doesn't mean I'm still not her husband. That doesn't mean that she's not my wife. But you know what? The reason why sometimes there's a division there or I don't seem to be as close or feel as close to my spouse is because of a lack of communication. May I say this and announce to you, the same thing goes with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's the same thing. Prevailing prayer, we should come to God seriously. James said the effectual, fervent prayer. It means to be zealous. It means to be passionate about our prayer life. We'll be passionate about everything else. But when God don't answer in two, three weeks, we just give up. That's not the way Hannah did it. She was bitterness of soul and she wept sore. She wanted God to do something and she said, I'm not going to stop praying. I'm even going to vow a vow to God and ask Him to give me a child that I can, if He'll loan me one, I'll give it right back to Him. So James says, the effectual, fervent prayer, notice the next part of it, notice the next prepositional phrase, of a righteous man. So, Tyler, it's not only, listen, one of the conditions is it has to be intensified. It's the intensity of our asking, but the second condition is this. There has to be some integrity of the asker. It's not only the intensity, Peter, of the asking, but it's the integrity of the asker. A righteous man. A righteous man. There has to be, there has to be some integrity. I was, well, me and my wife and my kids were in Mobile, Alabama a few years ago preaching a, a youth crusade. And I'll never forget the last night of the meeting, Peter. We were, we were in the auditorium and the place was packed out. It was a Friday night. Uh, it, all the young people were sitting right in the middle, in, in the middle section of the, of the uh, auditorium and all of the parents sat to the sides and they had to bring chairs out. I guess we had about 180, 200 people there that night. It was, man, it was an electric atmosphere. You could sense that God was getting ready to do something. I got ready to preach and I got up, Planos, right, in the plat right on the platform. As I, as I stood up and got ready to preach, the doors opened up. I guess we're 20 minutes into the service. The doors opened up and four guys walked in. Young guys, wearing white shirts, black slacks, black tie. They had book, backs, book packs on their back. They walk around, they set their book packs down, they go into the aisle, I mean, in, into the pew and sit down. All of them had little badges on their shirt. What they were was they were Mormon missionaries. And I don't know why they had come into our service. The only thing I can figure is they were maybe trying to disrupt the service. But they sat down and God redirected my heart and 
I said, I can't preach on what I'm going to preach on, Lord. I, I said, I, I want you to help me preach on Jesus. And you know what I did? I went from Genesis to Revelation, and I preached Christ crucified and Him glorified. And you know what? They laughed and they scoffed, and some of them snickered through the service. But do you know what God did that night? Through all of the division, through all of the trying to disrupting the service, there were three young men in that service that night that surrendered to full-time ministry. When we got done, I went up and introduced myself to those Mormon missionaries. They didn't have a whole lot to say. We kind of shook hands and I said, I appreciate y'all coming. I walked away from them and walked to the back to get a drink of water. When I walked toward the water fountain, three guys came out of a room, Panos, over to the left of the, uh, left of the auditorium. When they came out, they looked at me and said, Preacher, what happened out here tonight? I said, what do you mean? They said, something had to happen out here because something was happening in that room we were praying in. Do you know what they were doing the whole time I was preaching? They were in there on their face before God, Peter. And they were praying that God would do something. And do you know what? Though they did not know what was going on outside, the Holy Spirit of God allowed them to know that it was going something going on outside because something was going in, on inside that room that they were praying in. Folks, let me tell you something. That is serious prayer. Many of you know the story about the Metropolitan Tabernacle. While Spurgeon preached, there was always somebody in a little room underneath the pulpit that prayed the whole time he was preaching. Let me tell you something, folks. That's serious prayer. But there's a character we ought to manifest. Look at James chapter 17. Not only is there a confession we must make, a command we ought to mind, there's some conditions we must meet, but there's a character we ought to manifest. You say, what is it? Look at verse number 17. It says, And Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. That means he was human. He was subject to temptation. He was subject to anger. He was subject to discouragement. If you don't read it, if you don't believe it, read 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, 18, 19. He went through the, all the gamut of it. He went from the mountaintop to the valley in 24-hour period. But look at it. It says, He was a man subject to like passions as we are, yet he prayed earnestly. You know what the word earnestly means? It means seriously. He prayed seriously that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Let me ask you all a question. When's the last time you called on the heavens to shower down blessings and it happened in your life? You know what it takes? It takes confession. It takes, listen, obeying the command. And by the way... Have you ever been, have you ever been in, in, in the house and it's time for dinner and you go to your son or your daughter's room and you say it's time for dinner and they're playing their Xbox or their PlayStation 3 and they go, okay, Dad, we'll be there in a minute. And you walk away and 20 minutes later you go back in there and say, there's dinner on the table, you need to come in here. And they say, we're on our way. Oh, in, Dad, we're on our way. You know what, don't... It don't upset me the fact that they've heard it and don't, they haven't listened. What really upsets a dad is when my kids don't move when I speak to them. And do you know what I think? That this week, if we're on our face before God and we're asking God to do something, I believe when God speaks, His people ought to move. Does that make sense? When God speaks, His people ought to move. That doesn't mean you've got to come down to an altar every single time and pray. No, 
But when God moves in your heart, listen, don't sit there and say, I'm going to be okay. Ah, uh, that's just a little area of my life and I'm, I'm going to be fine. No, you know what? You go ahead and admit and agree to God that that's an area you need to get right and confess it and, and listen, agree with God and He can do something in your life. Hannah's prayer was serious prayer. But number two, I want you to turn back to 1 Samuel and look at verse number 9 again. I want to show you something and we'll be done. Not only was it a serious prayer, 1 Samuel chapter number 1. And look at verse number, uh, look at verse number uh, 10 again. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine, what's the next word? Handmaid. Notice this, and remember me, and not forget thine, what? Handmaid, but will give unto thine, what? Handmaid, a man-child. Then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. May I say this, folks? The first type of prayer she had in her life was serious prayer. She vowed a vow. But the second type of prayer she had in her life, Peter, was submissive prayer. Submissive prayer. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Do you know that the word handmaid in the Hebrew vernacular literally means this? It means a female slave. She was a female slave. And you know what? Here's the problem with a lot of us as God's people. It's we want to have serious prayer, but we don't want to have submissive prayer. How many times have we had our kids come up to us and go, I want to go to McDonald's. Well, guess where we go? Burger King. I ain't going anywhere. My kids tell me we going somewhere like that. They ain't going to bark at me and tell me we going to McDonald's. I'll go to Burger King just to spite them. <laughs> you know what I love about children though? You ever had your children, and some of you don't know this yet, but you'll, you'll realize this when you do have kids. My kids come up to me. I remember when we, they used to be real little, Peter, and they'd come up to me after children's church and say, uh, Daddy, uh, we did really good. Look, look at our, look what we learned today. Look at the verse we learned in children's church, and we did real good today. Uh, could, could we go to Pizza Hut? Guess what? We go to Pizza Hut. You see the difference? When you bark out and command at God what you want, but when you come to Him and you submit and you say, God, whatever you want for my life, I'm here as your servant and I want to please you. And whatever you do, I am willing to do it. I'm willing to obey. Here's a big difference. You've got to have, listen, serious prayer, but number two, you've got to have submissive prayer. Submissive prayer. But thirdly, and we don't have time to elaborate on it, but thirdly, you've got to have steadfast prayer steadfast prayer. I guess one of the most intriguing stories that I've ever come across is the story of the, the gentleman who started the Bible college that I graduated from. His name is Dr. Ron Comfort. Dr. Comfort was raised in the city of New York. His daddy was a drunk. His mama was a prostitute, sold her body every single day just to make the bills, just to pay the bills. Dr. Comfort said when he was a little boy, Tyler, that he would wake up and get up in the morning and there would be a different man in his house every single day that he can remember. He said there was one day that his mama came in and she had gotten so strung out on drugs and, 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 and liquor and alcohol that she literally picked her baby up and said, I can't take care of him anymore. 
And as a little bitty tyke, about five years of age, she held him out the window of a seven-story building and was going to drop him to his death. His grandmother, unbeknownst to, to anybody why she would even be in the building, came in that day, that very day, and she, she, she literally saved him and brought him back into that, into that window. Dr. Comfort said he, he never knew his daddy, but he had prayed, he had prayed, and prayed that God would save his dad. The story's told that Dr. Comfort, when he surrendered to ministry and after he got through with Bible college, he was doing a revival meeting in the New York area, New York City area. He had called his dad and invited him to come to the service. Said, as long as I've been preaching, my dad's never come. 24 years of preaching, my dad's never come to hear me preach. This man had prayed for his dad for 38 years up to that point. He called a friend of his up and said, you'll never know, you'll never believe what happened tonight. He said, I preached in New York City. And he said, a gentleman walked down the aisle and sat about the third pew on the right. He said, it was my dad. And he said, I announced to you, and he told his friend, he said, I announced to you tonight that my dad came forward and got saved by the grace of God tonight in this service. Now listen, I'll tell you why that happened. Yes, the Word of God was preached. Yes, the Holy Spirit of God did His job. He wooed him to Calvary. He brought him to the cross. But let me tell you something, Panos. It was because a man prayed steadfastly for 38 years that God would save his dad. Are we just going to give up when God don't answer the way we want to or don't answer at all? We can't give up. We've got to continue to pray. Listen, seriously, we've got to pray submissively. That means we've got to pray the same thing that, that, listen, that Jesus did. Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. And we've got to pray steadfastly. Steadfastly. Pray serious, pray submissive, and pray steadfast. Pray steadfastly. I said it last night at the nursing home. I've heard people say this, Panos, because of their, for whatever reason, pride, for other reasons. I've heard people say this, if I can't win at something, I'd rather not even try it. If I can't win a race and I'm not even going to run it, well, can I ask us a question? Unless you run it, how are you going to ever win it? Unless you continue steadfastly in prayer, how are you ever going to see God do a thing in your life? Seriously. You've got to be, listen, prevailing prayer. Hannah vowed a vow and said, God, if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. What about you? Have you got, listen, have you got serious prayer in your life? Are you hungry for it? We're going to talk about that this morning. How, how much do you want God to breathe a refreshing on your life? Have you got serious prayer? Have you got submissive prayer? And number three, is your prayer steadfast? Most of you know about the story of George Mueller, Bristol, England. George Mueller had a prayer journal, and they found in his prayer journal 40,000 recorded answers to prayer. For one thing, he prayed 25,000 times, and for one man, he prayed 20 years for one man. And do you know what, Peter? That man didn't get saved while George Mueller was alive, but after his death, the testimony of that man was, I'm saved because of the prayers and the legacy left 
of a man by the name of George Mueller. I hope and pray that our prayers are ones that don't hit the ceiling and just bounce right back to us. Have prevailing prayer in your life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Father, we love you today. Thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, I pray that today you would just do a work that we'd have to stand back in amazement and say, man, look what you've done. God, we love you. And Lord, I just, I just hope and pray that when we speak those words, we love you, that it's just not lip service. But Lord, we would go out and demonstrate to others of that love that you have for us. And Lord, we'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <music>